You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Father, um, thank you that we can come before you, that we can speak to you, that you hear us, that you help us with these mysteries uh, and point us to what our hope uh, every week as we hear your word and gather pray for this week ahead, for the needs in this room, uh, as, this, uh, as we face the life this week. In Christ's name I pray this. Amen. Uh, okay, miracles. Uh, apparently, our, our group is smaller, which means I've sufficiently offended <laughs> on this topic. Um, well, I was told that once, too, until I figured out maybe I don't. <laughs> um, anyway, we'll press forward with this important time. This is the last. Hey, come on in. This is the last in the series. So uh, for everybody joining us, I, I like to do a quick review, just kind of where we've been, because it's easily forgettable on Monday <laughs> where we were on Sunday. Hey, John. Um, but an important topic, the, the, the third and last in the, in the series, um, that kind of came to me just the, again just the way we use language that's a miracle it's a miracle the way it is in pop culture etc um, but also just um, what exactly is it in terms of biblical theology how, how do we reflect on it as believers we know we live in a very um, uh, what we might call the scientific post-scientific world of modernity this um, that talk of miracles has going through this scrutiny of, uh, of the hard sciences and, and skepticism and doubt. And that has also affected our understanding of who God is, how we talk about God. Uh, we've seen elements of it in pantheism and um, uh, where God is in everything. You know, there's just God in everything. And then we see elements of it in, um, uh, in, in uh, de- uh, the deism of God. Well, he's just out there somewhere. And somehow miracles, you know, everything then becomes a miracle or miracles become inaccessible completely, inaccessible completely on those models. As theists, which Christians are, 101, uh, you know, we don't believe that. We, we hold that God is active in the universe, that God is both the above nature but has power over nature and can interact in nature. Now, with that in mind... We also recognize that what we read in Scripture is pretty unique. We don't see these things every day. Um, and we can talk toward the end about thoughts on miracles, or you know, people will tell you they've experienced a miracle. That's not really the debate I'm trying to have here. What I'm suggesting is, is the way the Bible talks about miracles is unique. It's unique to the story of redemption. It's unique to how we know uh, God and what God intended uh, as he uh, as he interacted in the world for our redemption. So uh, with that in mind, I think uh, the list we've we've drawn the last uh, few Sundays is that we know that miracles serve several purposes in Scripture. They accredit and authenticate who God's messengers are including in the Old Testament. That's what we saw last week. Moses and Elijah were our case studies. What do they do? They are given signs that are then interpreted as to show my power. 
right? To confirm that you are from me. That's what the sign and the wonder is. It is a confirmation and accreditation. Demonstrates God's sovereignty and his power. Uh, the, the Battle of Jericho, right? Or these, these Old Testament stories where we, they sound, sound fantastical, you know, but in, they are, <laughs> I mean, in some ways. But they're not there simply as, ooh, wow, look, that, that was wizardry. It's there to confirm the power of God and his covenant with his people as, it, as, it, as it's working out in redemptive history. And finally, we, we, last week, we got to this idea of the kingdom itself. What, what, what do miracles tell us about uh, the coming of the kingdom? Okay, so that's where we, 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 we've traveled so far. And in that regard, we've looked, we look carefully at what Christ says about his miracles. And in the, in the pattern that we begin to see is not one miracle is performed in the Bible, with, especially in the New Testament, without a reference, a word explanation. This is done that, right? It is a sign unto something else, not look at my wonderful power. You know, uh, there's not this indiscriminate walking around zapping things and turn, you know, <laughs> Harry Potter kind of, you know, I, I would follow someone around like that just to watch, but that's not what Christ is doing, <laughs> you know. Uh, there's, there is, and it's clear also a point that, that we derived from this is they, they divide. People see these things and walk away. People see these things and say he's a wizard, whatever, sorcerer. And people see these things and they believe. They see what it means by the power of the Holy Spirit. As we launch uh, into the apostolic period, I just want to close uh, uh, what we talked about last week in the, in the references to the kingdom and what the signs and wonders mean in, in the kingdom. If you, if you um, as a kind of foil or backdrop, think of when Christ was taken into the wilderness between his bab and Matthew, it's between the baptism and then the calling of the disciples. And he's taken into the wilderness and what happens? He's tempted by Satan's you know, famous, you know, powerful imagery. Christ and the devil tempting. And what are the two temptations that he first offers? Do these things. Turn that stone into bread and they'll follow you. <laughs> You'll feed them. Throw yourself off that pinnacle and catch yourself and they'll follow you. And what does Christ say? It's not going to happen that way. So this power of miracles is also reserved. It's held back in the face of evil in the face of the temptation. Uh, of course, the, the third one is, of course, to worship, is to worship, which that's precisely what the miracles are designed to do, is to bring us to worship and understand who Christ is. So that temptation scene, uh, I think, is really important then for what happens later in the Gospels when we see exactly how Christ does perform. I'm not going to perform. The miracles don't work that way. You're not going, that's not what happens. They are intended to show something else and to confirm uh, something else. And in that sense, they play a unique role in redemptive history. 
the story of redemption, Genesis to Revelation. They are there for a peculiar and particular reason, confirming Christ's authority that the kingdom of God has come in his person and his work. They are never standalone. They are never left to stand alone and uninterpreted. They always are preceded and followed by a word revelation or explanation. Uh, as are the gifts of the Spirit, the gifts of tongues and prophecy that we see in Acts that we could put in this complex of redemptive history. What purpose do they serve here? It is the inauguration of a new order of things, a restoration. They have to be interpreted. And um, that's something we also, as I'll say toward the end here, I think had the way we think about miracles today um, uh, we want to always keep that redemptive historical framework in mind, that the purpose may even be bigger than ourselves and our needs when we talk about, or it may be our ultimate need, is another way to put it, which is salvation. So, they do not subvert nature, rather they are a restoration, they indicate a restoration of nature, a new order of things. That's why I would say uh, there's a, there's a, there's a couple of horizons when we look at these miracles. Uh, when Christ performs the miracles, and then we see the apostles are given this gift as well, they are performed in a specific context to confirm his authority and draw our attention to his, his, his relationship with God, his mission as the Son of God, his power. But it's also, it is a, it is a, indication what I would the big word eschatology the horizon of restoration that's coming the power of new creation the new Adam the second Adam is here the old Adam that did not possess this uh, ability I'm here to show you these things that you might know that your the very nature of things is being restored and as I said last week uh, one of the Errors we could fall into is that it's a subversion of nature. I, wet feet come out of walking on water. You know, miraculous wine can still get us happy <laughs> at a wedding. <laughs> you know, or sad, I suppose. But anyway, you know, depends on who's getting married, I guess. But you know, my point, right, is that na- nature itself, the very nature of things, is not changed, but it is pointed to a new order of things. This power is mine. This is what is coming. This is what is here with you now. Um, so it's not a subversion. Modern skeptic. I, I said this again when we deal with skepticism about these things. You're not, you know, the approach to miracles is going to be governed by your approach to God and Scripture to begin with. You're not going to win an argument on a miracle, nor really are we intended to. Um, we're intended. They're intended precisely why they're there, which is to point to Christ uh, and his work. And um, there are articles of faith as we approach Scripture and as they're confirmed by God in our lives that these things are true because, right? So the subversion of nature or the idea that nature is this whole separate entity that exists independent of this possibility, uh, first of all, is an article of faith as well. Um, just different kind of faith. Um, and one, and two, it doesn't mean that you don't have a God of laws and, and of nature, of the way the world works. 
nor does the subversion, I'm sorry, nor does the intervention in those laws uh, in any way subvert or um, pervert that order of things, it, it, especially in light of redemptive history, which is pointing us to a new rest, restored order. And finally, miracles always have a larger purpose than their immediate benefits that may extend to the individuals and the circumstances involved. Always. So Lazarus, he dies. We don't get that story. I've always thought about that. I just can't picture him getting a great funeral after the first time. Well, yeah, he's gone again. You know, I mean, I don't. How do they talk about this after? You know, we get this story. This guy comes back. He doesn't tell it. You know, we don't know anything else except again a miracle that is indicating the power. Of the Lazarus dies again. Um, the miracle is not the resurrection of Lazarus as Lazarus. It is Christ pointing to his own resurrection, right? Lazarus still has to grow. I don't know what happens. I guess he grows old and probably isn't too worried about it after the first time, you know? Um, but that's my point is that the, the circumstances involved in every miracle, you really don't trace that story, right? Like a modern journalist might. Like, well, what happened to the leper after that, you know? That's not the point. It's not about the individual or the individual circumstance. And we can make that mistake, I think, when we think about, it, say, we need healing in our own lives, or we need a miracle, you know, we're praying for a miracle, which we do. But we can make the mistake sometimes, I think, of collapsing our own need in the redemptive complex of history and realize that, and I'll say more about this t toward the end, but uh, it's something we want to be careful of, to not read ourselves and our needs, our circumstances, into God's <clears throat> not that God doesn't care. That's not what I'm suggesting at all. He cares tremendously. That's obvious. But it's not. we don't have to look for a one-to-one -one correspondence with the individual miracles in the Bible, is what I'm suggesting. Because the purpose of those miracles are for the church, or for the people of God. Okay. <clears throat> the miracles also, and this is where we'll go the next few minutes, they authenticate the message about Jesus that's delivered to the apostles, as well as the apostolic authority they are given as unique witnesses to Christ. Um, the apostles were unique in redemptive history. They had a unique role, like the tribes of Israel had a unique role. They served a particular person, a peculiar purpose. They were Things were given unto them that were intended to continue to confirm Christ and his work, okay? Um, and, well, to see this, this Mark 16 is be a launching point for us, the last chapter in the book of Mark. After Je Jesus is resurrected, which is important here, Jesus has spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven, and he sat, he is seated at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed, confirmed his work with signs that accompanied it. They, it so the apostles are handed this power, this word proclamation, along with a continuation of the signs 
and the works of the kingdom. Okay? It is unique to them. It's also important, I think, that we understand the miracles don't fully make sense until the resurrection. It's the completed work of Christ that you sit and go, that's what that was. That's what's been that's what's happened. Our 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 king is here. It's a new order. Death is no more. A new age has begun. That's the paralytic story. That's the walking on the water, right? That's the fishes in the boat. So it's the resurrection of Christ then that becomes the pericope, the, 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 the lens by which you turn and say, oh, now I get it. It also is pointing forward to how the, the apostles' message. And what is the apostles' message? It's taking this story out of Israel, both to Israel but out of Israel as well, right, to, to us, to the Gentiles. So, Mark, the apostles are given this. In Acts chapter 2, Peter, this is Pentecost, which had to have been something to see. In Acts chapter 2, uh, long, long passage, but it, you know, people are watching this, this fire, this judgment, this tongue, these, these tongues of fire, this, an image of judgment that has fallen but doesn't consume. And, uh, and the language then, of course, the, of heaven that is given to speak this to, to the world. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles. <laughs> accredited to you. He taught these things and you saw these things, right? Wonders and signs, that's what we would translate into miracles, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. And then Peter goes on to say, to con- this is what it confirmed who he is. Peter in his first sermon, in uh, the first sermon in Pentecost, the, the moment of Pentecost, references now, here is how you interpret these things. This is how you knew these things. Okay? Um, what about Paul? <laughs> That's a great question always. What about Paul? Uh, Acts, Acts for, forgive me for jumping all around here, but it is in isolating these, but I, I think it makes the point. I mean, at Iconium, that's uh, a re, it's southern Turkey, where they are in our world. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual to the Jewish synagogue. That was their, when they went to a city, that's what they did. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to be stirred up, I'm sorry, the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles, poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent a considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord who does what? Confirms the message of grace by enabling them to do what? (laughs) Perform signs and wonders. Word confirmation. Word confirmation. Right? The kingdom is here. I'm, th- this, is, this is how you know that, that our words are not in vain. Okay. Now what's happening here? Well, the church is being built. The church, what we do all these years later, is being built. It is being confirmed and built. We, we, we are the product of this. Okay. 
2 Corinthians. Uh, we all know roughly the, the trouble in Corinth. Corinth was just a mess, mess of a place. Um, I, I've been there a few times to the, you know, the ruins there. And you just <laughs> you walk around thinking, man, this is, it's just, it's Birmingham, you know, it's just where we are, you know, Corinth is a mess and it's full of messy people. Paul had a hard time. <laughs> I made a fool, my, he's, he's scolding them, he's lecturing them about their, you know, I, I made a fool of myself, but you drove me to it. I ought to have been commended by you, for I am, no, this is important. I'm not the least inferior to the super apostles. We don't know exactly what he means, but he probably means the, the first apostles because Paul refers to himself as the last apostle. No, I'm nothing. I persevered, in I persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle, which include what? Signs and wonders and miracles. So this is a unique, again, what, what Christ wrought in his death and resurrection, his life, death, and resurrection, is uniquely gifted to these men, to these apostles, who are uniquely, in redemptive history, building the church. Uniquely building the church that we've inherited. We are inheritors of this. C- couple more, couple more. Um, Romans. The book of Romans, uh, toward the end. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God. By what, by what I have said and done, pause, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. Notice, the pro- again, it's the proclamation of what God has done that then is confirmed with whatever. The, and we don't know the details of these signs and wonders. We just don't know. We just trust that there's on the pattern of what we've seen in, in what Christ did. Um, Hebrews, and then we'll shift gears toward a conclusion, but... We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? Difficult passage, been interpreted different ways, but um, the common interpretation over the centuries this message through angels uh, is the law. It was the giving of the law. Uh, and there's a reference in uh, the, a song of Moses to uh, the angels that delivered, the, th- the hosts, the heavenly hosts that delivered. The- and this is a rabbinical tradition that as the law was, it was given as the host of angels presented this through God. Um, so we believe that this is what they're referring to here. And of course the audience is the Hebrews, so that would... How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So again, the context of a miracle is redemption. It is always redemption. It is 
the power of the new of the resurrection, of of of, of the cross and the resurrection, to render a new order of being. What what? How do we kind of think? Of it? So whatever the apostles are doing in the New Testament is in continuity and in conformity with what Christ has done. It is not a separate order of activity, nor is it necessarily an activity intended for all times and places. It is intended for the confirmation of who Christ is as the church is being built in these very early days. Now, let's think about that for a moment, right? Because as I, as I turn here now to the, the conclusion, um, and we can discuss, we can open it up for conversation, but um, we got a very interesting passage in John to, to help us, uh, or to, to provoke us a little bit on this. In John, Christ tells, the, it, it's in the larger context of the, the end days, the last days, um, when they want to know a sign and what's it going to be like, and then you get some sort of scary stuff. And it's like, well, maybe we didn't need to ask all that. I mean, but very, very truly, I tell you, says Jesus, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask for me anything in my name, and I will do it. Big, big words, big passage from our Lord, because it can be, it's been interpreted many ways through the centuries. Um, and of course, the, the tradition of Pentecostalism Mont, um, Montanism in the early church interpreted this certain ways that um, this meant that they were going to continue uh, to does this mean that the church will and the believers uh, believers will continue to what are these better things these bigger things these greater things bigger miracles well we we need to hit pause on that there's not a greater miracle than Christ's resurrection <laughs> That is the center point of redemptive history. And that is the governing point of this message. This is after he has been, I'm sorry, this is an anticipation of his glorification. It is an anticipation of his glorification and of the glorification of the Father. Um, an interpretation I would offer for this, uh, for those of us in the Anglican Re Reformed tradition, uh, and uh, would be that uh, Christ is, is talking about the proclamation of his word unto salvation. He, he's talking about the gathering of the saints, the harvest. I was here for a time. You're going to do even better things. You're going to, uh, the, 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 the ongoing work of the apostles who he's talking to, right, is going to do something, and then vicariously the church, is going to carry forth that which you ask in my name. <laughs> what is asked in my name is asked to be glorified, is to glorify the Father. What, what are we asking? We're asking that we 
glorify the Father with Christ. Ultimately, it's redemption. It's redemption accomplished and applied that is the greater thing because Christ has been seated. He now has commissioned his church to proclaim this. To put it in a very simple way, more than the healing of the body in, a, in distress, or more than an intervention in history or nature that provokes wonder and amazement, your salvation is the greater thing. Your salvation. It is a miracle. It is your transformation into eternity and the love of God that now has been secured. You don't need a sign. The sign has been given. We live with it. We live in it. So, when we, in conclusion, as we think about miracles, resurrection and redemption should always be at the fore of what we're talking about when we talk or listen to, about miracles. Several points here. The signs and works Jesus performs during his ministry could not accomplish their true end until after he had been risen from the dead and been exalted. Then they matter because every one of those people have to die. <laughs> every one of those, those stories have to mean something besides I caught a lot of fish, <laughs> right? The works believers are given to do through the power of the eschatological spirit, the spirit guiding us to the end of the age, after Jesus' glorification, will be set in the framework of Jesus' death and triumph and will therefore more immediately and truly reveal the Son of God. It's a very long sentence. I should have shortened uh, for clarification. The point is that what the church is handed to do is always, and what the apostles were handed to do is always... Uh, mediated, governed, and uh, the scope of it is contained by the work of Christ, the death of Christ. It is always an intention to more immediately reveal the Son, not the power itself. And finally, I think we can say with confidence through the New Testament that the works believers are given to do include the mystery of the Gentiles, the better thing of being engrafted into the people of God. It, that, that's, that's what's happening here. And God's ongoing miraculous work for our lives, the heart of it is the means of grace that he left us, the word and the sacrament that we participate in, the forgiveness of sins, and the inclusion of those like ourselves who are formerly far off. That, that ultimately is where we, we, don't look, we don't have to get up every day looking for a sign because the sign has been given and commissioned in the establishment of the church. We, we're doing it. <laughs> we're doing it, gathering here this morning, hearing the word, repenting, believing. The better thing has come. So I say that. I'll, I'll conclude. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.